Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Today we're continuing our study. The last few weeks we've been looking at some matters of Bible prophecy, and uh, we're going we're gonna to begin today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so we, we began in the first message, we, we looked at uh, a prophecy in the book of Daniel, which is really a, 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 very, a very broad thing as far as the scope of time that it covers, and it shows that progression of those uh, Gentile world empires that would arise on the earth, beginning with Babylon and then to Media Persia and Greece and Rome, and ending with, the in that, that prophecy, the uh, empire of the Antichrist, which if you remember at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, there was a stone cut without hands that struck that image upon the feet and the, and the whole image toppled over. And that stone cut without hands is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That, uh, that, that vision showed his, really his second coming to establish a kingdom here on earth. Uh, then last week we were looking at the, the reason why there's a gap in the fulfillment of that prophecy. And uh, we looked at how the, the Apostle Paul describes this dispensation of grace in which we live as a mystery, something which wasn't prophesied. And, and keep in mind that mystery and prophecy are, are things that are, are mutually exclusive. Right? Prophecy, you're talking about the things that, that were made, made clear and made plain uh, from, we saw, from the beginning of the world. But when you're talking about mystery and these mystery that, that the Apostle Paul talks about, it's something that was kept secret since the beginning of the world. And those can't be the same thing. Right? You can't have something made known from the beginning of the world and kept secret from the beginning of the world. And so this, this mystery that the Apostle Paul associates with the dispensation of grace, it explains why in many prophecies, not just that one in, in Daniel, but many other prophecies, why there seems to be a gap in the fulfillment. Why there's this long gap of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming, which is yet future. And so we have this, this mystery dispensation. This, uh, you can think of it as a parenthesis in the, in the plan of God. And that's an important thing to, to keep in mind. Now, what we're going to look at primarily today is the end of that parenthesis. Because those events, even though there's been a gap and there's been a delay, those events that were prophesied are going to take place. All right? And so this, this parenthesis that we're in is going to come to an end at a certain point. And the scripture tells us about that. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the, the Thessalonian epistles, by the way, the main, the main focus of the Thessalonian epistles have to do with future events. Okay, And in 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, again, a, a, a common theme here in the Thessalonian epistles, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, we beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, just like today where you have these various Bible prophecy teachers that teach all kinds of things, you had that in the days when, when the Apostle Paul was writing these epistles. But in Paul's day, it seems that even some people were writing out various teachings, sending them out to these churches, but they were signing Paul's name to, to them. Uh, in fact, there's many writings from, from very early church history that are, uh, sometimes they're, they're referred to as, you know, pseudo, pseudo writings, because even though it may claim to be from one of the apostles, it's doubtful whether it really was. Okay? Now, now I'll tell you that also many, many modern Bible critics have gone so far with some of that as to claim that even some of the books in the canon of Scripture were not written by those writers. Um, that, you know, those, those kinds of arguments understand God preserved his word. Uh, he fulfilled his promise to preserve his word. So what's there in the Bible, you don't have to have question about whether, whether they actually wrote it. But there's these other writings out there that might claim to be written by Paul or by Peter or, or various other people. And, and it's true, there could be writings by those men that are not included in the Bible. But keep in mind, there's also writings by people who claimed to be those Man, you know, when you're writing a letter, it, it can be kind of hard to verify that, that you know, the person actually wrote that letter. Uh, and, you know, so the Apostle Paul here warns them that if there's going to be people that are going to come or write letters, even if it claims to be from, from himself, you see, he says, nor by letter as from us, uh, about some of these prophetic events, he tells them to, to be wary of that. And he specifically, what it, what it uh, seems to be that some were teaching, had to do with what he describes there, that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, I'm going to tell you that in the first few verses of this chapter, um, there, there are some things that, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not able, I'm going to tell you that I'm not able to take, for instance, that term day of Christ and, and specifically define what it is. It's not a, it's not a term that's used often in scripture. Uh, many times what people wind up doing is trying, for instance, if you have a Schofield Bible, I know some of you have a Schofield Bible, you may see that, that, uh, he has a note on day of Christ. And if you look up that note in the margin, it says day of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord is a very, a very specific thing in scripture. Okay. It's used in very specific ways. Um, but if God had wanted to say day of the Lord, he could have said day of the Lord there. Uh, in fact, the reason why um, Schofield probably is linking that day of Christ with the day of the Lord is to make the passage fit with, with his view of prophetic events. Okay, And that's, a, that's not something you want to do with the word of God. You don't want to change the word of God to, to make it fit uh, some doctrine that you believe. 
We'll look at another example where, where people do that in this passage as well. Uh, the, the day of Christ, now it could be, it certainly could be that the day of Christ described here is something going on at the same time period as the day of the Lord, but it, it can't be identical with the day of the Lord, otherwise God would have said day of the Lord, right? But he says the, the day of Christ. Um, what, what seems to be the teaching that was going out, and Paul references this in other places, is that there were people that were saying that the resurrection had passed, okay? That essentially they were saying to these, to these saints that they had missed their resurrection. Um, and, and that, you know, there are, there's a, a view of Bible prophecy today that's called preterism, which says that, that Bible prophecy was all fulfilled in the past. And there's, most people that would be preterists would be partial preterists, but there are some people that are, that are, full preterists, where they, they believe there's really nothing of Bible prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And that, when you start saying that, that sounds very much to me like what Paul's criticizing here and in these other places when he warns about those who say that, that the resurrection has passed already. But what, he, what he's warning them about, I mean, we get a picture about what, what this teaching is. In verse 3, he says, Let no man deceive you by any means, For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, uh, when it talks about the man of sin being revealed, that is a, an individual that is described in many places in the Bible. Uh, one of the names that's given to him is Antichrist. Uh, he's also called the beast. He's called the Assyrian. He's called the, the little horn in various prophetic passages. It's this, this individual that's described here. And the, that, that rise of the Antichrist, you see that Paul, uh, he, he places this day of Christ that he's describing in relation to the revealing of that man. Uh, he, so he says in, in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. He says, except there come a falling away first. Now this is another place where people try and change the word of God to, to fit their, you know, their view of prophetic events. Um, that falling away there, if you read, we have got several books in our church library by Cornelius Stamm, and Cornelius Stamm has many great, you know, excellent uh, commentaries on the scripture and, and, you know, a lot of very good things. But when it comes to this passage, uh, he takes that term falling away, and he says that doesn't mean a falling away from truth, but... He says it means a departure, and he tries to make that to be the rapture. Now, we're going to be talking about the rapture today, but, uh, and I admit that, that to do that with the passage would be very convenient theologically, right? It's very convenient to say the day of Christ is the day of the Lord, and then say the day of the Lord isn't going to come until the rapture comes first, right? I mean, that, that would be very convenient, but understand that's not the proper way to deal with Scripture. You don't, you don't, you know, re, reinterpret and re-translate the scripture to make it fit your theology. Uh, in fact, the word falling away there, it's the word apostasia. It, it, it's, 
talking about an apostasy, a falling away from truth. Okay? And, and it's not necessary, it's not necessary to do damage to the Word of God in that way in order to, to understand some things about the rapture. But those are some things that people do with that passage. Um, again, they, they try to make the day of Christ the day of the Lord, and then to say the falling away is, is a departure or a, or a rapture of believers off the earth. If we just take the, the passage for what it says, um, without, you know, without trying to, to necessarily at this point specifically define what the day of Christ is, what it says is that this day of Christ is not going to come except there come a falling away. And the word does mean a falling away from truth. It's, it's an error to try and make it just a departure from the world or you know, a physical departure. It's a falling away from truth. There's going to come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed. That, that man of sin, that Antichrist is revealed before the day of Christ. So these people that were going out and, and teaching that the day of Christ was at hand, what Paul's saying is the day of Christ can't be at hand because there's some things that have to happen first. All right? Now I'll tell you another thing people do is they say the day of Christ is the rapture. And, and that also isn't going to fit with some other things we're going to see in this passage. Uh, but, but you see the order there. And so he tells them about this man of sin that's going to be revealed. He calls him the son of perdition. He says that he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, it says, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, remember that when it comes to, to these things, here the Apostle Paul is telling you about future events. Unless there's some reason... To, to take something figuratively. You know, there are things that are meant to be taken figuratively. But unless there's some reason to do so, the, the assumption you want to give to the Word of God is that it's just meant to be literal. Here when it says that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, there is no reason there to assume that it's talking about anything other than a physical temple that this man, the Antichrist, is going to sit in. Uh, many times people will take these, these kinds of passages and they'll just completely spiritualize them. For instance, we know that today the temple of God is both the, the, you know, the individual body of, of a believer is said to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. The, uh, uh, the church, the body of Christ collectively, it talks about it growing into a, a holy temple. Uh, it's a temple of God. Uh, but, but that's true in this dispensation. That's not necessarily true in every other dispensation, right? And so we know in the past there was a physical temple at the city of Jerusalem, and this passage would be one that indicates that there will again be a physical temple in the city of Jerusalem. Again, some people try and take a passage like this and just kind of spiritualize it and, and say this is talking about a, you know, a spirit of Antichrist that's going to exist among, among the church of God as the temple of God and that kind of thing. But, but there's, no, there's no reason here in the passage to do that. In fact, when you compare this with other prophetic passages over and over again, it talks about how this man, the Antichrist, is going to enter into a temple at Jerusalem 
Now, there is no temple at Jerusalem today, but he's going to enter into a temple at Jerusalem, and he's going to sit down there, and he's going to demand worship as God, that he is going to claim to be God himself. In fact, he'll probably be claiming to be the the second member of the Godhead. He'll probably be claiming to be Israel's Messiah, uh, claiming to to be God in flesh, like Jesus Christ was. And he's called the Antichrist. The term anti, uh, it means instead of. It doesn't necessarily mean against, but it means instead of. And, and he's presenting himself instead of the true Christ. He's presenting himself as Christ. And here it describes how he's going to sit in that temple of God. Um, these are things that if you, if you read the book of Revelation, if you read the book of Daniel, it describes the, the same event. And... And uh, how he will, call, you know, originally allow, for instance, the the uh, offering of sacrifices to the Lord God in the temple. But he, it comes to a time where he disallows that. And the time when this is taking place, um, we we uh, aren't necessarily going to go to all of the these other passages. But some things you can look at on your own is there's, there's something that's referred to in the Bible as the abomination of desolation. And that's at the point where this is taking place. That's at the point, by the way, where Christ told, uh, he, he instructed uh, those believers that when they see that abomination of desolation set up, that that's when they're supposed to leave Jerusalem, not even look back, don't even go back into your home to, to get an extra set of clothes or anything. When you see that happen, he, he tells them, head out to the wilderness as quickly as you can. Uh, don't look back at all, because that's kind of a, a, you know, a point of no return there. Uh, but So it describes that man of sin being revealed. Now Paul says in verse 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, Remember ye not, when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And he says, And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. Now, he, he refers here to some things that he had told them verbally, that when he was there at Thessalonica, he had... He had taught them. Um, he, he says there, you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. The, the thing is here in the passage, he's going to talk about something that's withholding these events from taking place. But he doesn't spell out specifically for us what it is that's withholding. We'll, we'll look at it and, and try to come to a conclusion about it. But he doesn't, he doesn't say it specifically. He just says to the Thessalonians, you know what's withholding. You know what's, what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. Now remember, throughout the passage, what he's talking about being revealed is this person of the Antichrist. And so he reminds the Thessalonians that there's something withholding. For the time being, there's something preventing the revelation of the Antichrist from taking place. And since it's being prevented, again, go, you know, going back to the beginning of the chapter, these, these people that are claiming that this day of Christ is at hand, it can't be at hand because the Antichrist has to come first and there's something right now that's withholding that from happening. You see? He says, You know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. 
Now, as we've talked about the mystery, as we talked about it last week, we were talking about uh, some, some mystery things that God was doing. But the mystery of iniquity realized that, that when God began to reveal this, this mystery, Satan also began to work in a, in a, in a mystery-type form. All right? Realize that uh, you know, when, you, when you read through the Bible and you see the changes in God's dealings with man, Realize that every time God changed his dealings with man, Satan changed what he was doing to try and counter what God was doing. Right? Satan reacted to whatever, whatever change or whatever new, new uh, progression there was in the revelation of God's plan. Satan reacted to that. Satan is a counterfeit, counterfeiter and he works through trying to present something that looks like what God's doing, but that really isn't. And, you know, when, when, uh, the dispensation of grace begins and God begins to reveal this mystery, Satan also begins to work in a, in a mystery form. This, this mystery of iniquity that's described here, uh, you, you could, you know, you could go and look, for instance, um, in, in uh, other places where it talks about certain doctrines of devils, religious doctrines that, that, turn people away from the truth of God's word, that's what the mystery of iniquity is linked with. Okay, it's, it's false religious doctrines. Um, the, you know, when God was dealing with the nation of Israel, and that was the focus of God's plan, that, that salvation would come to the Gentiles through Israel, what Satan had to do to counter that was to oppose Israel. Right? That, I mean, that was the focus of Satan's plan. Once, once Christ was on the earth, um, the focus of Satan's plan was defeat Christ. Get him to sin. That failed. Kill him. He did that, but he rose from the dead. Right? He, he focused all of his energy against Christ. But now with, with the dispensation of grace, what Satan is doing is, he, you know, there's all these religious doctrines out there, many of which call themselves Christian, many of which quote Bible verses, talk about Jesus, talk about all, all these various things, but it's deception. And, and this mystery of iniquity is something that it says is already working. Okay, so this, this mystery of iniquity is not something yet future. By the way, when you do look at future events, in, in the book of Revelation, there is a woman that is pictured there that has a name written on her forehead, and the name is Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon. Remember, a mystery is something previously hidden, now it's, now it's revealed. And Mystery Babylon, um, Babylon goes, goes back. You know, maybe when we think of Babylon, we think about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, but really Babylon goes back to the Tower of Babel. Babel becomes, becomes Babylon. And you have there at, at the Tower of Babel um, mankind in rebellion against God. Now God, you know, divided that up. But it's interesting when you look at the various religions of the world and you see how they all tie back to Babylon. They, they tie back to that, sometimes it's called the Babylonian mystery religion. And even, even though even many religions that might use uh, Christian terminology and use the Bible, and yet you look at their practices and they come straight from Babylon. This was something, by the way, I mean, you go back into the 1800s, and the average Christian understood these things about, about 
false religion being Babylon. They, you know, the average Christian understood these things. Um, and that's why there was so much opposition, even among, even among people that weren't even necessarily Christians themselves. They understood that, you know, there were these false religions out there that, that were all connected back to, to, uh, Babylon itself. And today, that, that Babylonian religion, it's in a mystery form. It doesn't, it's not, it's not revealed for what it is. You don't see it for what it is. Okay? It, it looks to many people like Christianity or like, like biblical things, but it's really something hidden. Now, when you get into that time of revelation, it, it begins to reveal itself for what it is. That woman that's portrayed as Mystery Babylon is a religious system on the earth. In fact, let's go, let's go over there and just look at the description. Go to chapter 17 of Revelation. Let's see the description here of this, this woman. Revelation chapter 17 verse 1 says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold, precious stones, and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. Now here's a passage that is very obviously figurative. right? In fact, the angel is going to give an interpretation of these things, what the different elements of it mean. It's not not a a literal woman that's being described here, but it's it's a figurative thing. Um, You see in the description of the woman, it calls her the great whore. It says she sitteth upon many waters. And the the many waters in Scripture often are used as a picture of the nations. Uh, It describes how the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, unfaithfulness. This would be spiritual uh, infidelity. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This woman is sitting upon a beast, and this beast is is pictured other places in the book of Revelation. The beast is a political system, right? The the beast is a a political system that's figured there, personified by the Antichrist himself. Uh, You can see that in the interpretation that the angel begins to give. In verse 8, it says, The beast that thou sawest, was and is not and shall des- or shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. 
And there are seven kings, five are fallen and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. You see, you see, the beast itself is associated with kings. It's associated with, with a political system. Uh, it's, it's associated as well with the, the person of the Antichrist. Um, it, it says that the seven heads are seven mountains. And seven, you know, mountains in the Bible often represent kingdoms. But also, uh, you know, can you think of what, what's the city that it says it's the city founded upon seven hills? It's the city of Rome itself. Right. This, you know, as we as we saw in that prophecy in Daniel, in that progression of world empires, we saw the progression from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome. And then there's this gap. And when you get to the kingdom of the Antichrist, if you remember in the vision, it had the iron, which was the same as the Rome of the legs. But then it was iron mixed with clay. And it's a it's a in some ways a continuation of that Roman Empire, that Roman system. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.